Hello guys, welcome to another episode of Going About Nothing podcast. Um, it's still a few absences, but Elemide is back from his one week break, and we're glad to have him. Whether whether he's happy about what Cristiano Ronaldo did to his club is yet to be known, but but who knows if the Saudis or if Apple decides to go into the business of buying football clubs and they send Man United, I'm sure he's definitely going to be happy. Um, please in the house. As well, the, I think the best place to just start from is the World Cup for me because as much as I haven't seen all the games, I have seen some games so far. And clearly, the standard for me has been the fact that it seems like these smaller teams have told themselves that, okay, tactically, we have to be sound. There's no point in being naive and thinking, oh, we can go and play. Like Tony Police would say, trying to play the big boys head-to-head is a one-way ticket back to the championship. The so-called smaller teams literally tired that okay, we're going to be solid defensively. If we get a break and we score a goal, fine. If we don't, we're not leaving the stadium empty-handed. Yeah, it definitely looks that way, especially and especially with the have got like all the matches to the first half were goalless. Like deal with everything has been like the defending has been the like the biggest. Of course, there's exceptions to Costa Rica and Iran, but the rest, like the, like you see what Saudi Arabia did to, like with the high lines and the offside traps and everything, like it was inc- it was incredible, like even things like Morocco, Tunisia against Denmark, it was the game plan was defend, be tight, keep it safe, because ultimately. Winning, winning your first game is not a priority, but it's also it's the most important thing is that you don't lose it. So, which is what a lot of those things went for, and they were successful. When you speak about Tunisia, like, um, let me the, the biggest part for me is right for the Africans. Yes, we saw Senegal were exciting. They probably lacked the cutting edge of Sadio Mane, and <laughs> for some reason, they don't get that many of who have seen this season. Like. It's, it's somehow he found a way to let let his teammates down, but hopefully they will recover. But African teams in the last, like especially the last World Cup, no African team made it to the second round, which I felt was not because of talent, but due to game management. But I saw Tunisia play against them, and their game plan was simple: let any other midfielder hold the ball, Delaney can hold the ball, Hoybe can hold the ball. But as soon as Eriksen holds the ball, we want two players on him. We don't want him picking up passes and uh, being expansive, spraying passes left, right, and center. Closing down, manage the game. And let's see how it goes from there. If we, uh, then the Japanese took it to a different level and they were like, oh, we'll use our speed on the counter. Like, so far, we've seen like the smaller teams have a bit of uh, metal to show so far. Yeah, um, I've, I feel that goes to show that um, the technical side of the game, especially in countries that are not considered to be great footballing nations, has really improved. Like, they are getting a very uh, extensive understanding of the game. The fact that uh, a, team ca- a team like Japan can hope to eat a very structured and strong team like Germany on the first break, it goes to say a lot about the level that this so-called, quote-unquote, smaller teams have taken their football. Um, another very uh, conversant team that has been going around is the coercive defense, the fact that the whole team is defending as a unit whenever they are playing against a far stronger side. And that was something that was peculiar with Tunisia and Morocco, was the fact that even when they had um, ball carriers and players that were good on the ball, those players were disciplined enough 
to help with the defense, tried not to lose possession too much, and they were working as a cohesive unit. I think the only flaw I've seen were the inexperienced substitution that was made by Otto, the Ghanaian coach earlier today, was the fact that he, I, I felt his team was playing very well. They, they played very well against the Portuguese side and they could have even uh, gotten a very good result from that game. But he made those substitutions way too early and it kind of um, digressed from the game plan. So I feel the smaller teams are waking up to the occasion and the bigger teams are beginning to get very nervous. We could see that nerve playing a crucial part in the way Portugal approached the team. Is the fact that uh, everybody's trying to be very careful. You can see that with, I think it was the Cameroon and Switzerland game today. It was a very slow and cautious game. It was almost like they were trying not to lose the first game. And... A lot of times, it brings a little bit of dub to the game. We've seen a couple of zero zeros because teams are trying to be cautious. They know that four points will be enough for them to get out of the group. Yeah, like, obviously, when it comes to having two teams, you never can really throw. But, Kulu, you mentioned Saudi Arabia and Argentina because, trust me, everyone in their grandfather's probably knew that okay, it's, an, it's a matter of how many goals would Argentina score. Then... Things took a turn for the worse. Like we all predicted Argentina to do well, like not just do it as one of the favorites for the tournament. Then six games on beating, 21 clean sheets before the tournament, Copa America champions, like good momentum coming into the tournament. Only for them to show up and it, it, it certainly looks like a case of okay, OMS, a new World Cup, same old, same old Argentina. Like they've put themselves under enormous pressure now to respond because. You have Poland and Mexico to contend with in the group. And Saudi Arabia is supposed to be the weeping boys. They are, suppo- they are supposedly the easiest team on paper. Now, how deep, how deep of a hole have Argentina dogs for themselves? Or is this something that can still be salvaged? Um, I think it's something that can still be salvaged because Arsenal didn't particularly play badly. It felt like those five minutes in the goals, Arsenal did not know what to do. Has been disrespected by Saudi Arabia, and the first half in particular, they were they were really good. I said, I some of those um, shoulder calls and inch calls. The players have been three up. The problem was that when they went behind, they looked so flat. They had nothing to offer. Either. So I don't think this should this should, like should set the tone for something dire or put them in disarray. Yes, I feel like I feel like it probably was one of those games. Like it's a memorable result. Was one of those games. I think they can bounce back against Mexico. And me, and even against Poland as well. Um, hopefully we find a way to go back against Mexico. But for the teams that have, in, that have been impressive on paper, like we've, we've seen in terms of results on paper now, like we saw Germany put six. We saw Germany, we saw England put six past Iran, beating Iran six to Spain beating um, mighty Costa Rica from twenty fourteen. Um, it's by scoring um, seven goals past them. But is it a case of okay early tournaments? Um, jitters or like initial gragra, or, or should we classify it as okay? England and Spain are certainly the favorites for this tournament. I wouldn't say England has been as favorites for this tournament because it's again, it's one game you should not get carried away and make conclusions based on the first um, group set of group games because ultimately, who did they look at their opponent? England beat Iran, ultimately, okay, six goals is much, much with us, but they expected to beat Iran. Spain also expected to be Costa Rica. Costa Rica are not as good as 2014 and the shock, the shock team of 2014. 
So again, it's it's the one. So we are going to see how a lot of things goes. But those things, those things definitely are right to be confident. But we should not be getting carried away just yet. Whether we get carried away or not, some things are some things are certain in the World Cup. Like elementary. every every participant or every every player has decided that okay, this is where I'm going to show my skills because. But when Mexico played Poland, for those that don't know, <laughs> Guillermo Ochoa was in the World Cup in 2014 and 2018. <laughs> he's had to always point out, point out the club he plays for. But it just feels like the big stage, like the World Cup just brings out the best from some players. Like, oh, it's the World Cup. Here we go again. It's time for us to come and show whatever it is that we have. Like, it's funny. Like, it's, it's, it's beautiful yeah, to see, bro. It's, it's funny. In, in Ochoa's fashion, Ochoa... He, he came against a penalty against Lewandowski and he saved it. And he made a he made a couple of significant saves. I think he had like five saves I could pinpoint. He had one against Zelensky. There were a couple of them like that. And it, it goes to show that when when the going gets tough, there are some players that always rise up to the occasion. Uh it's, it's very interesting to see because I've liked the way the tournament has progressed. And it goes to show that we are in for a very great treat. And uh, now, in sequel to what Kuli rightly said, is the fact that some big teams would perform in the early days. And I, I think this is, I'm trying not to jab England too much, but this is something that we've always seen with the English team. They they come out with big bangs. And when... The, so, so when are you saying that it's not coming out? No, I'm, I'm just simply saying that we cannot make conclusions that's what you're saying. It's not coming up. Are you telling me that it's not coming up? It's not coming up. It's not coming up. Let's just be blunt. Okay. Okay. I'll be here to remind you guys. Even don't remind you guys in case it comes up. But we've seen, at least we've seen um, all eight groups. Like we've seen the first round of matches come and go. But let me just, is it a case of like so far? I, 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 have you been forced to like change your predictions? Do you suddenly see like, okay, there's a new. Team that is on a counter, you're like, okay, this is a different team. This is a team that you believe that can, you can bet on now. You don't want to follow against Senna anymore. This is the new team you want to follow. Uh, I, I, I think I'm trying not to get carried away with uh, the result that just happened a few hours ago. My dark horse of the tournament was Serbia. And I think until the ghost came in, they looked like what I expected. Uh, but I'm beginning to doubt if they can go past the quarterfinals or this round of 16. But other than that, I feel like my favorites still hold uh, their title as long as they don't keep starting Ronaldo up front. So I think as long as they don't keep starting Ronaldo every game. See, I don't think you understand what's going on. Because the minute Fernando Santos announces that um, is going to bench Ronaldo for any game. He's going to copy a small dance tutor. People are already training on Twitter that <laughs> when the referee didn't give you the first penalty, it was like, I'm going to report you to play a small dance. To be sincere, to be sincere, I was, I was very, very livid because I felt that penalty was too soft. And considering that the game was still level, I don't think... I, I, I'm, still, I'm finding it hard to believe that that was a penalty because, yes, Ronaldo clearly got to the ball before him. But is Ronaldo stretched his leg to actually make real contact with uh, Salisu. I, I knew Salisu was a bit rash, but 
I still don't think that game, that particular incident was penalty worthy, and the breath didn't even go to VR to check it. Uh, I'm trying not to sound like a crybaby because I've been very mad at Ronaldo for a couple of days, so I'll try to just keep quiet. Uh, um, before we even um, go into like whether your favorite set tournament have changed or not, let me mention something about the referees now because it seems like the, uh, initially I've seen I've seen some things that I like in terms of refereeing because. We've seen some referees go to the monitor and decide, look, my decision is down. And we've seen some referees so far make some decisions that will make you scratch your head. Like, why on God's head did they do that? Yeah, and I really don't like to talk about refereeing that much, but I feel like it's something we need to talk about in this tournament because it feels like it feels a bit weird. Especially the one was Bryce said about this game, about how not taking. VR because that's that decision looks so debatable and how the VR not call that back and again it defeats the purpose of the point of VR because you are supposed to double check these things for the refereeing in itself I feel like a lot of referees are like oh yes this is the World Cup I have to lay down my decision making process and I lay down the law oh yes I'm the one in charge it feels like a lot of Decisions have been made for the referees to yes and make decisions, not 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 for clear headedness. Because a lot of I've seen a lot of these have been frankly bizarre. Let's, let's put that as like some inconsistency in penalty decisions, like the England Iran game like that. And he just looks he's he looks off. I, I think that's a key word for me, inconsistency. Like I, I feel like if there is going to be a rule surrounding a particular sport. Whenever that matter comes up, it should be consistent. Yes, we've agreed that in this particular World Cup, any any hands around um, an attacker in the box till they go down is a penalty. But it should be consistent. It's not that somebody will wrap their hands around. Uh, I think it was John Stones or one other England English I defender. Think, I think Maguire. Yeah, I remember. yeah, and it was not a PK. But five minutes later, it was a PK. Like, like against Argentina. It became a PK. Like, we should be consistent with these laws. Like, if we are going to stick to something, let us stick to it and not just keep flip-flopping. It's at the point it becomes irritating. Like, okay, what's the essence of the VAR if we are not going to use them? I, I know we debated the VAR for years. We didn't want it, but now it's here to stay. So we should actually get it right. Um, Kule, initially, like obviously, this tournament has been mad with a lot of controversy before it starts because initially it was like, oh, beer will be sold in some areas outside the stadium, not inside the stadium. Then it got to a point where they're like, no, no, no. Like two days before the tournament started, um, the Qatari government decided that no beers at all, no beer inside the stadium, around the stadium. We don't want to see it in our eye. Like, this is our country. Then we've had some um, countries initially decide that, oh, we're putting on the armband of. Um, the rainbow colored armband to show um, support for the LGBTQ community. And FIFA came out and said, put on the armband, yellow card, whether you like it or not. So is it a case of, for the, for the players, for the teams or the national teams that have decided that, okay, we don't want to do this anymore. We've had some people come out to say, okay, it's what is picking up a yellow card is unfair. Why some other people have come out to say, oh, they were cowards. They should still have done it and pass their message. Yeah, I believe they should actually should have continued decision because a if you have if your belief is fighting for human rights, human rights and human rights are more important than whether you're not to get a look a yellow card. 
It's as simple as that. And B, I feel like a lot of those countries should have called FIFA's bluff that we are here, so we are going to do it. And unless FIFA has to explain itself to the world that they are sanctioning teams and players for doing this thing. And I, because um, it, like, it felt like a win-win situation, and yet somehow these countries find a way to lose. It's, it's absurd. And now, because for those that don't, like, it, it wasn't just the, for people, for the complaints regarding the World Cup, um, LMG, it, was never, it wasn't just the fact that, okay, Qatar has their Sharia laws or their laws or whatever it is against the LGBTQ community, blah, blah, blah. But, so all of a sudden, we saw FIFA presidents passionately come out to defend Qatar and talk about, oh, Europe is not allowed to criticize Qatar. And I'm like, yeah, you have a point. Europe has colonized so many countries and blah, blah, blah. But workers, thousands of workers have died. Like human rights laws have been completely ignored just to make this World Cup happen. Are you completely going to ignore them? Are you planning to defend Qatar and be like, oh, after all, they are hosting the World Cup? We know that you have been paid one way or the other. And now, like, there's this passionate response. Yeah, there's this passionate response from the FIFA president, like, oh, nobody should protest Qatar. Like, I don't get it. I will try to not be too cynic. And because I'm taking an opposing um, stance on this argument, is the fact that we are focusing too much on things that are not football related. And I'll start from here. If you believe that um, the stats that um, only eight people died um, in the process that got to construction, stadium construction in Brazil, you, you are a little tired ignorant. And the fact that Catana came out with figures that only three people died constructing the stadium. It shows that we are all tired ignorant. It just goes to the fact that a particular a particular set of people or media, they are always trying to run an agenda and everybody will flow with it. The English media started this stupid agenda and everybody is flowing with it. Yes, you've lost the bid. Yes, FIFA is corrupt. And it brought a lot of shambles to the organization, which would never, ever stop. We understand. But the fact is, the tournament has started already. Can we just go ahead with the tournament and let whatever discussion we want to discuss about all of these excesses come after the tournament? Now, I, I, I know I'm sounding very cynic, but I'll also go to another argument. It's the fact that this beer argument, there are stands where you can buy beer for 17 hours out of 24 hours. But Qatar is simply saying that don't bring these beers into our stadium. Okay. For me, quote and unquote, it looks like it, it looks silly, but at the same time, the Western media has been pushing this LGBT. You've been forcing it down our throats for like almost a decade. You are forcing it down our throats. Now, somebody is now doing the counter of what you've been doing, but now you are calling foul play. Like, I see hypocrisy in the fact that a minority would try to enforce things to people, but when they are res- when they are restricted or when they are when there's a resistance against their um, ideology and beliefs, whoever is making that resistance against it is should be should be cut off, should be made public enemy number one. For me, I just think this is football. Yes, it has happened. Qatar is going to host it. It's not like we're going to collect it from them. FIFA has spent money. Seblata uh, and his and his own boy from France. They've spent money. They, this money, you cannot recover it. 
They said they are banning them from sports. All of a sudden, they are no longer banning them from sports. All of these things are irreversible actions that should just... We can talk about it. We can try to look for solutions. But stop trying to drag this agenda. Let us face this football. The fact is that you gave these guys too much power in the first place, and now you can't take it back. So we just need to... Sincerely, I, I think for a generation that talks too much, we need to start doing more. We just keep talking, 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 talking. The, like, I am against LGBT. I think everybody that knows me knows that for a fact. And the fact that this narrative has been pushed by the media aggressively for decades. Like, it's almost like the way this LGBT thing looks now is like, whenever you say you are not for it, you are a bad person automatically. And this is hypocritical. It's, it's a very hypocritical stance. If somebody now say, okay, oh, this is an Islamic nation. We don't allow it here. It's just simple. If you want to, if you are ready to take the consequence of whatever comes after it, do it. Shit, you get. It's just, it's just, it's almost like saying that. I, I'm trying not to go off real here, but my point is just the fact that can we just focus on what is important? The fact is, when it comes to quality of football, this might actually be one of the best World Cup. But we are getting derailed by the fact of, that we are trying to talk about beer. For Christ's sake, there are boots outside where you can drink beer for 19 hours. Go and drink your shayu and enter. Nobody will take a alcohol test before you enter the... No, they don't do that. The only thing is don't bring the alcohol into the stadium. So can we just focus on the game and just let these trivial things remain trivial things? Because I, I get what you're saying, but I'm not even trying to focus on the LGBTQ community, which I believe is the fourth, fourth of FIFA in the first place. Like, if you believe sports is one, because every time... There's always this hashtag respect, unity in sports, no discrimination in sports, everybody's allowed in sports. Like, there's a reason why there are only, I think, two or three known gay footballers in the world because of the kind of stigma that, that attached to it, or the kind of fear that attached to it. I'm pretty sure there are other footballers that are gay that probably wouldn't come out. That's not even my point of contention yet. And whether the numbers are exaggerated or not, it's not going to dispute the fact that the labor laws, the human rights laws that Qatar has, I've had has been ridiculous. And I saw a documentary on the living conditions that some of these workers from Africa and other parts of Asia lived in. It was horrible. For a country that spent $229 billion on the World Cup and paid Platini and his, and his cronies and um, say Blatter all that amount of money just to secure the bid of the World Cup, to then turn around and start to treat workers, people that did construction work to make sure the World Cup was successful like in that fashion was it was it was completely it's completely uncalled for like you two, like i said two things can be right and two things can be wrong at the same time you can decide oh okay their countries their rules they, they have they're against uh, lgbtq stuff fine people already made that mistake by giving that work up to um qatar in the first place since yeah, we, we have pitched inclusion for a very long time but the idea that these people don't have Labor, good labor laws, like human rights laws are non-existent, and thousands of people are dying trying to make this work up a thing. It's something that the media still has to point out, whether it's propaganda. The fact that FIFA presidents can now wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm going to go and give a passionate round, a passionate response, and be like, yeah, then Europe cannot suddenly form. Yeah, nobody said Europe is sent. But no, you I can still point out the fact that... I'm, not, like, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not saying... Sorry, Wally, I'm not saying his speeches, because... Uh, his choice of words were ridiculous. 
it's almost like you are saying the uh, pre-colonial era. Yes, like we all agree. But I, I feel like <laughs> when you are dead, when you are in the mode already, there's almost no no way you can present yourself and sit with people in white. So you get, and the statements he made, they were kind of a tad insensitive. So you get, but I feel like what should have been done would have been to preempt Qatar and whatever private entity was in charge of all of that um, conditions, preempt them to improve these conditions. But the, the issue with most humans is whenever we are being attacked, we get defensive. So he was just being defensive by saying uh, the Congo government, they were cutting Africans and all of that one. <laughs> and the Belgium government, they were cutting people's hand. So they have no right to not be telling Qatar. I f- that, that was a third irresponsible and insensitive. So I, I feel like the end goal should be finding solutions to these things. Because I don't... I don't- before I even go on and think about, because I don't think there's about finding solutions, I don't think FIFA can find solutions for what is, um, whatever Qatar's problem is. Before I go on and start talking about that, I'd like to even know what Kule thinks about it. Yeah, so in terms of the whole um, LGBTQ Qatar, I feel like, first of all, it's crass on the part of FIFA, because again, FIFA knew what all these things, what all these things was, and what Qatar was for before they give them the World Cup. And it's, again, it's simple. The reason was money. There was no bring the world together, do whatever it is. And the whole framing of how it's a Muslim country, they don't want to, they don't want to help is The framing is disingenuous because A, Muslim LGBTQ people exist in Qatar. So saying the whole framing and being LGBT as Western basically erases are Arabian LGBT, which, which is completely unfair and opens them to violence. But ultimately, the blame of this lies, lies with Qatar. Sorry, I say Qatar, lies with FIFA. Because there's no, there's no going away from it. They knew what this was. And for the Western hypocrisy stuff, um, there's no, I don't think there's no, there's no escaping it. Um, in fact, you know, statement made no sense because. In the same manner, I was like, well, the West, the West needs to look at itself. Is is aligned with Western. Organization like CARICOM, CARICOM like killing people in Haiti, and he's literally collecting money from them, so you can't you can't even have any leg to stand on. But a lot of the Western stuff about Qatar is still related to the whole um, racist narrative of Qatar is bad because Arabians are bad, not because Qatar is bad because their conditions that lead to this. Like the slave, the whole um, slave labor system was introduced by the British in the 60s. Like the whole, what's the kafala system that Qatar, Qatar is using that was introduced by Britain because they did not want people of Qatar to have good living rights. So yes, the hypocrisy stuff still stands. And ultimately, we should not use the Western media as a lot of the news sources for this because a lot of what they do is obscured. Again, I'm not saying Qatar is not open to criticism and a lot of the stuff to us LGBT people and workers' rights is, is downright disgusting. But let's not take the West as the as a moral arbiter of some any of anything in any way. Ah wow. Um away from the whole debate regarding Infantino and his cronies, because every time I think about the Netflix documentary on how Qatar won the work of, I just think about how smart Nature Platini is like, Kai! That guy is a criminal. <laughs> He's a proper, what you call a proper criminal. 
where, you know, where people like Isaiah you know, to uh, just a smart, smart yeah. football administrator. Yeah, where <laughs> people like Isaiah to were thinking of how to reach their pocket and like, yeah, give me the money, give me the money. I want to. That guy was like, you know what? You buy a club in France, you buy weapons from the French government, then you see paying my money again. Then in four that? years, in four years time, you <laughs> now pay me my money in four in four different splits. <laughs> like you just ah. He's a criminal. Um, before we move on away from the World Cup, I would like to like talk about World Cup memories and stuff. I'll probably just start with Kule, like your fondest memories of any World Cup, like in the past, like which which World Cup, anytime the World Cup comes up, which one stands to you immediately? Um, I wouldn't, I don't, I'm not sure if fondest memory is the time for me to use, and also I wouldn't say, I want I want to put something on the pitch because. There's no more cup stuff that leaves my memory down when the French team launched a coup against the Omar in 2010. Like, <laughs> was, that is like, there, are no, there are not many things in this world are better than but, that. But, 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 but wait, I, recently I listened to Badis Ever Come on um, Ferdinand's podcast to come and clarify something on that particular stuff because what the media reported was the French team refused to come out for the boss to come and train. And and ever said the agreement was we're supposed to come down, have a little. It wasn't. So, it wasn't a, a fixed training session. We're supposed to come and meet the fans, sign, and just warm up for a few minutes before going back into the course. But because there was the issue regarding an Elka already, and Raymond Dominic was already angry, for some reason, Dominic locked the bus and said that no player is coming should down. come down. <laughs> so and the media, the French media took, took it and, and felt like, eh? oh my goodness, the players have kicked up their coach. Is this a revolt going on or what have you? So I would like to point that out there. Kule, you can go on. Yeah, and my favorite thing is that it's not just that the, it's that the fallout um, ever got banned, Aneka got permanently banned, Ribery got banned, Tulalong got banned, then Dominic was sacked, the FA president is like, is that proper cool? Effect like, <laughs> the fallout was incredible. Like, um, I, um, first team, so first team coaches and fitness coaches were in tears. Like, that was how seismic it was. And imagine your World Cup memory, please. I, I, I think my my core memory that the memory that came before all of this, um, before this particular tournament started was the latest interview of Mula. Where Muller was like, uh, Milo told them that you know what, at half time, no, nobody should square again. This is becoming disgraceful, yeah, against Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, uh, <laughs> whereas, uh, what's Shola? Shola? Shola went to the bedroom, <laughs> <laughs> so he was no. <laughs> them. He came into the second half and it was gone blazing. He was like, you know what? You guys are the only are going to die today. <laughs> I really, really, really that interview and just imagine the whole, like the old, um, the old chain of events that now happened. There's this memorable picture of a small boy crying into a Coca-Cola cup, like. This this way image that we imprinted in my head and it is traumatizing and fun at the same time. Okay, I, think, moral, I, I, I think for me, one of the work of memories I have to like this was actually on the field was has to be back in two thousand and six. Yeah, that was when Italy played 
France in the final. Because when that tournament started, and France could not beat Switzerland and could not beat South Korea. And I'm like, okay, they have to beat Togo to qualify. And I remember mm. rooting against France until the semi-finals. Like, oh, Spain is going to deal with them and beat them mercilessly. They beat Spain. Brazil is going to show them shit. They beat Brazil. <laughs> when, when they got to the semi-final, I'm like, you know what? They will find a way to beat Portugal. And they did. Like, they found a way to get past Portugal and stuff like that. Like, that was the tournament to me that showed that, like, that made me agree with Alex Ferguson's comments that just give me Zinedine Zidane and 10 pieces of wood and I'll win you the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, sometimes that's all you need. Like, he just had so much stardust in him that made the rest of his teammates much, much better. And it was, it was beautiful to watch back in 2006. It's, it's interesting to see how the Brazilians recover from things like that. Um, away from the entire World Cup, I guess, at this point, it's fair to say, like, what Ronaldo wanted has finally come to pass. Like, it was obvious that he wanted to be sacked, or he wanted to find his find wealth of Man United. Now, the club has agreed, whether it was mutual termination or not, it has left the club with immediate effects. Yeah, and I said this last week that it's impossible to, it's basically impossible to come out and slay to your teams and the manager and everything about your club that way if you don't have intentions to leave or if you do if you are not guaranteed that you are leaving already so i actually feel like maybe this agreement has been done like a week ago just came out of yeah maybe i'm leaving just lay it on the table so and ultimately for both parties i think it's beneficial because no it just feels like your relationship was not working like ronaldo was not enjoying being united united we're not enjoying having ronaldo anymore so basically it was really good that they came to a mutual agreement and they were like oh yes this is the best thing for us to do now let's just part ways and now like let me bring up the question of because we saw what happened all summer all times of clubs like by munich we're like nah nah i'm not interested thank you very much napoli no chelsea no like Real Madrid, no, Juventus, no, all kinds of clubs are like, no. Like, this time I was going to change. Begs the question, who now wants him? <laughs> it's, very, it's very funny because uh, the same guy that claims that everybody wants him, at the end of the World Cup now, would now know who is lying and who is bluffing. Because I feel, I, I feel it becomes easier now for clubs to say they want to get him on the free okay. and pay and pay his wages. So let's see if he still ends up clubless by summer. Then uh, I think a lot of us will be laughing at our ex goods because we'll be like, oh, be nobody wants you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whether it's ex good or not, it's interesting to see how this, this entire thing matches up because one way or the other, Ronaldo has decided to push his tents and enter the way he did by United. And the most painful part about this is the, the only winner from this madness is Piers Morgan, who for some reason has gained relevance back. Like, it's just the attention that he, he has been craving that he wanted for a long time has suddenly shown up. And hmm, I don't even know how to describe Ronaldo in this words because it just shows how very, very unintelligent he was granting that interview in the first place. Um, anyway... I'm afraid that's all we can take for tonight. Thank you so much, guys, for being here. Like, we know that the World Cup is still ongoing. LMJ is willing to round that his money on USA beating England tomorrow. Whether that happens or not, it remains to be seen. Whether it's the last six victories. 
I guess I'll be the only one driving my Saudi Arabia Rolls Royce Phantom. As for Kuli, he said he hasn't changed his predictions yet. Like he doesn't believe that the Saudi Arabians can go all the way. But I guess time will tell. Yeah, time will definitely tell. All right, so our listeners out there, have a lovely weekend, everybody. Until next week, same time, same place. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself.